Hey, if you've got a Bible there, would you turn with me please to Acts chapter 2. I want to uh, look at the story, we would know it as the, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Uh, but I want to look at it from a little bit of a different angle today. I just want to share some things that have been on my heart in the last 48 hours as I've uh, reread that story and thought about it. I actually came in yesterday to our building here to record this message and I had uh, three messages and I was looking at them and I was sitting down and they were on different topics and different things that I felt like were sort of floating around in the back of my mind. But then God took me to Acts chapter 2 and as I opened up Acts chapter 2 and began to read, I felt like there was something in those pages that he wanted me to share today. So I spent a bit of time yesterday kind of wrestling with it and I couldn't quite um, uh, put it into note form and write it down. And so what I ended up concluding at the end of the day was I might just go hook up the camera, press record and just talk out of my heart. But I didn't get time, I ran out of time. So I went home, I'm sitting on the lounge with my wife and my wife says to me last night, she says, Alan, how'd you go with your message today, putting it, getting it together? And I said to her, look, it was a bit of a struggle. I've got a few things floating around in my head, but, um, you know, I actually was tempted uh, yesterday to just cook the camera up and just press record and just to talk out of my heart. And she said to me, you know what happened this morning? I woke up this morning and when I woke up this morning, I was doing my hair in the bathroom and I had this thought about you and your message and I felt like God said that you should just turn on the camera and press record and talk out of your heart. So as a result of that, here I am today and I've decided to ditch the other two messages and I'm just going to talk to you out of my heart and a few things that God has been laying on my heart. So I believe there are some parallels and some lessons that happened on the day of Pentecost, some things that we can take out of that that would be beneficial and helpful for us today in the midst of this COVID uh, pandemic that we're going through. I think there are some things that I read in there that God began to show me that I feel like have some significance for us. You know, we are uh, at a place right now where we're beginning to get some, uh, I won't call it great, but we're beginning to get some good signs from our government that our our isolation period has been working and things are beginning to change a little bit for us. So some good news is coming our way. When we get good news, the problem with that is sometimes we're tempted to look so far ahead to the light at the end of the tunnel that we can really miss the rest of the journey. I feel like it's really imperative for those of you that are watching, those of you that are Christian, even those of you that aren't, I'm sure that there are some things that you've noticed about yourself and stuff that's gone on in your life. I think it's really imperative that we take stock of those lessons and those things and that we don't look that far down the track at the light that we miss the lessons that are still to be learnt along the way. We miss the opportunity to solidify in our hearts and in our lives that which has been taking place and changing. I spoke to a mate of mine, he's not a, a believer, he wouldn't he would not profess to be a follower of Jesus. But I asked him two days ago, How are you going with the pandemic? And he made this statement to me, he said this, he said, You know what? He said uh, we've been. I feel like this situation has brought me and my family closer together. Uh, he said, I used to go down to the pub with my mates and have a few beers in the afternoons and so on. He said, you know what, I'm not even missing that. I'm actually really enjoying the time with my family. We go out the backyard with a fire pit at night and we talk. And the other day he said, I took one of my kids fishing and I haven't done that for a while. And he was telling me about what was going on in his heart. So it's not just... Uh, believers, Christians that are experiencing change and things happening in their life. It's happening with those outside the walls of the church too, which is why the story of Pentecost was so uh, significant to me yesterday when I began to read it and what really jumped out at me in that story. And I want us to just really quickly go over that story and read it. You'll find it in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 to 6, and here's what it says. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. 
And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So they're all together in one accord, in one mind. It wasn't a spiritual meeting. I used to always think they were sitting down praying, but it doesn't say that. It just says they were with one mind, one focus in a room. And all of a sudden, the first thing that happens is there's this sound of a mighty wind. Now, if you read in the Bible, you'll find many times that the Holy Spirit is referred to as a wind, a breeze, or as a breath. Um, and so what happens is at this particular moment, they're sitting in a room and the Holy Spirit makes his entrance into the world. In fact, it's quite interesting, that word sound in verse 2, suddenly there came a sound from heaven. That word only appears in the New Testament in the original Greek three to four times. And it's translated sound, but on one occasion it's translated as the word report. I think it's in Luke chapter 4. It says that Jesus cast a demon spirit out of a, a, a person and it says that the report of him went out to the surrounding region. So Jesus uh, did uh, this, this uh, had this power encounter where he cast this demon spirit out of a person. And it says in Luke's account, and Luke's the same guy that wrote Acts, by the way. It says in Luke's account that, that a report about him went to the surrounding regions. Hey, Jesus is here. He's doing miracles. This amazing man, this amazing teacher, he's here. And the report went out. It's the same word that's used here when it says there was a sound from heaven. So you could almost, I guess, translate the word a little bit and say that there was a report from heaven. And this was the moment where there was this booming report from heaven. And the report was this. Hey, just as... In Luke chapter 4, the report was Jesus is here, this miracle worker is here. The report from heaven on the day of Pentecost was the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit has come to the earth. Now, what I notice in this story is that when the Holy Spirit came, we don't just see something happening inside the church, but we see stuff taking place outside the walls of the church as well. Let me let me put it this way. The Holy Spirit no more came to earth just for the church than Jesus Christ came to the earth just for the church. Well, I'll, I'll say it again. The Holy Spirit no more came to planet earth just for the sake of the church any more than Jesus came just for the sake of the church. In other words, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit wasn't sent to the church. The Holy Spirit was sent to the world. Okay, the Holy Spirit wasn't just sent to the church. The Holy Spirit was released into the world. And in this story, we see two distinct works or actions, I guess, of the Holy Spirit. One takes place inside the walls of the house with the believers. I guess you could say the church. And the other work takes place outside the walls of the church. And I want to just briefly, in the little time we've got, talk about those two works because I believe what I'm seeing in the world at the moment is taking me back to these two specific works. And I wonder whether just as on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out and there was an outbreak of salvations and miracles and power and great things happened as the church was brought forth and birthed. I wonder whether the church is in an opportunity where we can be reborn again as we come through this pandemic and we come out the other side. Stick with me. Follow me. Now, at the end of this, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some time and I want you to pray. I want you to sit with God and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to highlight to you anything that comes out of this message uh, that you feel like is specifically for you. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit is the one that we need right now. I believe that we need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. I believe we need to be looking for the Holy Spirit 
in our lives and, and, and in our circumstances. I believe that God has words in season for us at this time. We're facing unprecedented situations in our families, in our lives. And the playbook isn't working anymore, if that makes sense to you. The, the manual isn't working. The formulas aren't working. And we need a, a reconnection with the person of the Holy Spirit. And we need to reattune our ears to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be listening to what he's saying to us and listening to what he's doing in our lives. Now, when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, there were two distinct things that happened when I read this story. The first one is this. That within the house we had this phenomenon where these tongues of fire come. Luke says that, it, that, that there appeared upon them these things like tongues of fire. Now it wasn't fire. They weren't set on fire. Their arm hairs weren't singed. They didn't stink afterwards as they stood out in the crowd. There was nothing like that. It says it was like a fire. But one thing I know about fire in the Bible, fire is used as a refining tool. Fire is often referred to as a refining implement. You've heard the phrase, I'm going through the fire. What does that mean? It means that I'm being refined. It means I'm being purified in my life. Now, on the day of Pentecost, God could have done whatever he wanted to do uh, to symbolise the the Holy Spirit entering and coming into those people. Um, But actually, if you go back to Luke chapter 3, Jesus, uh, I'm just thinking this now, Jesus made an interesting comment. I think it's Luke 3.16. John the Baptist, sorry, speaking of Jesus. He said, when he comes, said he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So when we think about the wind, I think there's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit making entrance in the form of the wind. But then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and the symbol used was fire. Now, when you read the text in in Acts chapter 2, it wasn't the tongues of fire that got the attention of the people outside. It says in verse 6 of Acts chapter 2, it says, when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. Now, the sound they're talking about was the sound of the wind. Now, if you theologically have a look at that word, there are many theologians who back and forth, was it the sound of the wind or was the sound the sound of the tongues that the people were speaking in? That word in the original Greek is a, is a, a singular word. It's not plural. So because it's singular, it means that there was one specific sound. And most theologians would agree that the specific sound was the sound of the wind. So we've got this sound of wind as the Holy Spirit enters the atmosphere. And and the sound of the wind is heard in the house. And the unbelievers, those outside, I guess you could say, they hear the sound of that wind and they come towards where that wind was coming from. But within the house itself, there's the sound of wind, but there's this symbol of the Holy Spirit coming upon them in fire. Fire is a refining and a purifying vessel, a purifying implement um, throughout uh, the Bible. See, I believe at the moment, here's what's going on in the lives of the church, in the lives of people like you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, It's happening in my life, I know it is. I believe there's a real refining process going on in our lives. There's a a process of purification that's going on. And it's manifesting itself uh, in the way that that attitudes are popping up in, in my life, my heart and yours. There are things coming out of me that I didn't know existed on the inside of me before. You know, there's something wonderful about being able to control the environment you live in. If you control what's going on outside of you, you can control what's going on inside of you. When you lose control of what's happening outside of you, then at the same time you lose control of what's going on inside of you. And how many of you know right now, we have lost control 
if there's anything that we uh, are seeing globally through this pandemic, it's this. With all the technology and all the knowledge and the information and the power that we feel like we have, with the global community and the connectivity, guess what? At the end of the day, we are not in control. Praise God that there is a God who is in control. And, and if you're a believer in Jesus and you follow what the Bible teaches, then you would take comfort in the heart in that, that God is in control. But the message, uh, by saying God is in control, I'm also acknowledging this, I am not in control. And there have been some things coming out of me, attitudes and, 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 and so on, that are coming out of me. Once upon a time, I used to uh, look at those attitudes and I used to just have my pat, my formulated answers that I would give to those problems. And uh, this would pop up and I could say, well, it was because you didn't do this or because that person didn't say this or because that scenario didn't unfold or because that wasn't ready yet. Or because it, and I could come up with my answers. And because of the busyness of life, it was easier to throw out those formulated, um, sanitised, plastic answers to everything and then move on quickly to the next thing. You know what's happening right now? Life has slowed down. And when these things begin to surface and come out of my heart and I go to my regular normal answers, you know what? There's just something about them that seems so fake. There's something about my surfacey answers that seems not 100% true. So I've started doing this little thing. Instead of just saying this question to myself, uh, why are you doing that, Alan? Why are you responding like that, Alan? Why did you say that, Alan? I've taken one step back from myself and instead of just saying, why did you do that, Alan? I'm now saying, why did you really do that, Alan? Instead of saying, why did you say that, Alan? And allowing myself to come up with some surfacey answer, I'm pulling back and I'm going, no, 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 why did you really say that, Alan? Where's that coming from? What's going on on the inside of you? What buttons are being pushed? Here's the thing. Uh, we hate it when our buttons are pushed and, and uh, quite often in life what we do is we try to remove ourselves from an environment where the buttons are getting pressed. You know, if the buttons are getting pressed over here, then let's just keep away from that environment and the buttons won't get pressed. But the problem is this. The buttons are still on me. They're my buttons. <laughs> the buttons are mine. It doesn't matter where I go. I'll take my buttons with me. Now, here's a question. If you had a brown snake living under your bed, would you want to know it was there? Or would you be happy to just leave that brown snake under the bed and not know that it was there? Knowing that at some point, that brown snake can come out from under that bed and it's got the potential to hurt you and to hurt your loved ones and to hurt those close to you. Now, if that brown snake was under your bed, wouldn't you want to know about that brown snake? Wouldn't you want the opportunity to know that it was there and to deal with it before it hurt you or your loved ones or people that were closest to you? Wouldn't you want to know about the presence of that brown snake? Well, I feel like it's a real gift from God at the moment. But I'm getting to see the brown snakes that are hiding under my bed. And I have the time now to actually think about the real answers. And I am making progress in areas of my life where for years and years and years I've felt like I've been stagnant and I'm able to move forward. I'm getting answers to questions that I didn't think I would get answers to. Maybe in some areas we've given up thinking we can overcome or we can break through or we can change or we can be better. Maybe we've given up a little bit. But now here we are in this environment where the Holy Spirit is trying to get our attention and encourage us that, hey, we can overcome, we can change. You can beat that thing. You can be the person you're meant to be. You can stop hurting those closest to you. You can stop hurting yourself. You can start making some right choices because I'm going to take you to the core of where the other stuff is coming from. Let's deal with the roots of the tree and not just keep cutting the leaves off and they keep growing back. I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, let's get to the roots of the tree.
Let's refine you. Let's purify you. Not just what you do, but why you do it. How many people are being challenged and they're asking the question, why do I do some of the things I do? Uh, what's the motivation behind it? What's driving me? You know, at the moment, my, my wife is on Twitter, uh, uh, not Twitter, uh, Instagram, I think, and Facebook and those online things. And I'm not on them, but, but, but she follows some, some people on there. And she's been telling me that there are some uh, preachers and pastors and, and church leaders and, and they're on there three, four, five times a day and she's just flicking past. She's just, it's overkill. She's over it, you know. I'd love to sit down with some of those people and I'd love to ask the question, why are you really doing that? See, I feel like one of the beauties of this season we're in is the opportunity to go a little deeper into ourselves with the Holy Spirit and seek answers and ask the questions that maybe we've been afraid to ask or maybe we haven't had time to ask and allow God to go a bit deeper on the inside of us. You see, I do out of who I am. Let me say that again. We all do out of who we are. The most important thing to God is to refine and work on who I am because he knows that when he works on who I am, then I will be able to do stuff that he created me to do if I'm the person that he created me to be. As long as I uh, hide the issues, as long as I suppress the things that are inside of me, that need to come to the surface, that need to come to the light, as long as I fight against the refining processes of God, then I'll never really be the person I was meant to be. And if I'm never truly the person I'm meant to be, I'll probably never truly do what I was meant to do, or I certainly won't be doing it to the fullest potential that God created me to do it. Uh, in Ephesians 2.10, we all know the verse that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were created by God for good works, which God created in advance for us to do. But I want to see, uh, take you to Timothy. I want you to have a look at Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. And, and, and Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also a wooden clay, some for honour, some for dishonour. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, and you can read this later on and see where all the latter stuff is. It says, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, watch this, he will be a vessel for honour, set apart and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So I want you to see something. Paul writes to the Ephesians and he says, you were, 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 were created, you were fashioned by God, made for good works. But then Paul writes to Timothy and says, even though you're made for good works, you, the person, need to be prepared for those good works. So we're made for good works, but there's a process we go to in order to be prepared for those good works that God wants us to do. I wonder whether on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit appeared as a fire to symbolise the fact that he was going to, in a moment, purify and refine those people that were in that room. Because from that moment, he had to launch the birth of the church. There wasn't time for these people to maybe go through the process. Maybe some of them did go through the process because they were already following Jesus anyway. So maybe the process took place then. Or maybe the symbolism of the fire was a reminder to us that there is a refining process that we go through. On the other side of that refining fire, there is the power of God. And who doesn't want to live out of the power of God? Who doesn't want to minister out of the power of God? Who doesn't want to be that church or that individual that's flowing in the power of the Holy 
Spirit. Jesus himself said, he said, the things I do, you'll do, and greater works than these will you do. Why? Because I go to my Father. In other words, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be empowered. And you're going to live a powerful and influential Christian experience. I wonder whether that's why we have the symbolism of power. It wasn't to get the attention of the crowd outside. Their attention was gotten by the sound of the wind. But Luke records it was fire. That 120, 120 people, I think it was, in the room at the time. And a time of fire rested upon each of them because we all need to be refined. It doesn't matter whether we're a pastor or a leader. It doesn't matter whether we're a person with a public profile or not. It doesn't matter whether we feel like we're reaching thousands or we're just reaching our family or our neighbour. It doesn't matter who we are. God's created us for a work. He's made us for good works, but he has to prepare us for those good works. And this moment that we find ourselves in right now, it's amazing the preparation that's taking place. And that preparation is not skill-based, it's heart-based. How many people have thought, if I just get a Bible college degree, I'll be able to minister in power? No, you won't. If I just uh, get a, a, an, another anointing, if some, the right person could lay hands on me and pray for me, impart a gift, then I'll be able to minister in power. No, you won't. Because it doesn't matter whether you've got knowledge, anointing or gifts. Here's the thing, you'll still be ministering out of who you are as a person. That's why God is so passionate about working on our hearts and conforming us into the image of Jesus. And I'm finding in this uh, environment we're in right now, there's a real refining and a real purifying work that's taking place in my life. And I want to cooperate. This is what, what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, therefore, cleanse yourself of the latter. In other words, Timothy, cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. He won't just zap you and do it all. He's saying the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, leading you and showing you things. But you have to cooperate with what he's saying and what he's doing. And if you'll cooperate with him, that refining, that purifying work, you'll come out the other end and you'll minister and you'll live in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the, the plan of God. That's the will of God for us. Don't push those things back down. If the Holy Spirit says bring it into the light, bring it into the light. The Holy Spirit says, deal with it, deal with it. I can't stand here and tell you what he's saying to you. I don't know. This is the beauty of this moment. You see, the Holy Spirit was sent for you and the Holy Spirit was sent for me. That means that I have a relationship with that Spirit and so do you. You have access. In fact, it says in, in, in the Bible here that the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside you. Build that relationship with the Holy Spirit. I think this is a great opportunity to reconnect for many of us with the reality of the Spirit's presence in our lives because we need that our third person of the Trinity. We need the presence of Jesus in our life through the person of the Holy Spirit that was sent to us on the day of Pentecost. So when the Holy Spirit comes down into that atmosphere, he comes into the church, so to speak, and he does a refining work. But he also does something outside. In verse 6 it says this. In uh, Acts chapter 2, let me turn back there. Verse 6 says this, and when this sound occurred, when this sound occurred, the multitude turned and they came. So I want you to imagine it like this. The Holy Spirit comes down into the atmosphere of planet Earth and just floods the entire world, not just the church. He comes down for the entire world. He has a universal plan. And he goes inside the walls of the church and says, I'm going to refine you. As my ministers, I'm going to refine you. I'm going to purify your motives, purify your heart. I'm going to deal with you, the person, so that I can be uh, take my power and flow through you with a clear channel. Let's unblock all the drainages and let's 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 purify and 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 let's do that refining work so I can flow through you in power to the world around you. But then he goes outside the church, and what does the noise do? It says that it gets their attention. 
In other words, it piqued their curiosity. It piqued their curiosity. You know, there's this amazing phenomenon taking place right now uh, in the church world, and that's this. Everybody's been forced to go digital and online, and we're all doing our online church services. And I don't think, I'm not saying that that's the way to go for the rest of life, but I want you to listen to what I've got to say here. Every pastor and ministry leader I've spoken to in the last two to three weeks have all said the exact same thing. They are getting between 300 and 500% greater impact or greater uh, reach with their messages digitally than they ever did have through people coming and sitting in their church buildings. In other words, there are many, many more people who are watching online, what I've got to say today, than would have turned up today, if it's a Sunday you're watching this. More people are watching this online than would have turned up and put their backside on a chair in my building on Sunday. Now, there's going to be people out there who are going to straight away jump on the negative, but hang on, you can't, you've got to test the metrics and, and, and you've got to know what a view is and what a watch is and how do you know whether they just bumped it and how do you know whether they watched the whole time, did they check out after worship or, you know, there'll be all these questions and yeah, we could go there, but before you go there, let me ask you this. What is, what is so, uh, worse about the metrics of checking your views and all the online statistics? And by the way, I've got a tech guy and, uh, last week for the first time we sat down and we went through the back door there of YouTube, we had a look. Because if this isn't working, I don't want to waste my time, uh, doing it. But we went back and we looked at who's watching and what's the average watch time, where are they watching from and all this stuff. And anyway, I'm amazed that, that, that it really is reaching, uh, more places and more people than what we would be on a Sunday. So because it's working, we'll do it. If it gets to a point where it stops working, we'll just, we won't do it. I, I don't want to waste my time on things just because everyone's doing it. But it's actually working. And every church and ministry leader I speak to is saying the same thing. Before we jump on the metrics of it, let me ask you this. What's more flawed about that system of metrics than what the average church uses on a Sunday morning? How many people turned up? A hundred. What does that mean? How do I know whether those hundred people engaged in worship? Where do I know their hearts were? How do I know that those hundred people even took in anything that the preacher was preaching? When I'm standing here preaching, how do I know who's actually listening, who's opened their ears to the Holy Spirit to, to allow him to, to do spiritual formation on the inside of them? How do I know who's not just here for the morning tea? Well, they're not just here because, you know what, the church has got some really nice people in it. And, and if you get a chance to hang out with a bunch of nice people, who doesn't want to do that? Who doesn't come? Who, how do we know people aren't just here because of that sense of belonging that drives us to join different groups in the community? How do we know that's not why they're here? How do we know what they're doing when they walk out the door? How do we know whether whether they're walking out of here and, and the formation of Christ is a priority to them for the other six and a half days of the week? How do we know what they're downloading, what they're listening to? How do we know how they're treating their family and their work colleagues? We see them, for most people, for an hour and a half on a Sunday. How do we know all that? So before you jump on what I'm saying here with the metrics of digital and online, just 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 realise that the other metrics we use of, who, of how many people come to church, how much money was given in the tithes and the offerings, how many people are in small groups. Look, I, I understand that there are some metrics there that give us a loose picture, but there's no metric that gives us a definite. God is the only one that knows the human heart. I don't know your heart and you don't know my heart. And so we've got to surrender control of all that stuff. Yes, yes, do your metrics and, and count your stuff and plot a path forward. I'm all for that. But what I'm saying is this. The metrics of clicks and views is no more flawed than the metrics of numbers and tithes. Okay? So when I look at the metrics of digital, here's what I do know. There is probably more of a curiosity about Jesus Christ, the church, and the Christian uh, worldview than maybe we've allowed ourselves to think. I wonder whether we've got stuck inside the walls of the church and all we've thought about is what the Holy Spirit's doing in here. We haven't allowed ourselves to open our eyes and look outside the walls of the church 
and be open to the possibility that maybe the Holy Spirit is doing a lot of work outside the walls of the church as well. You see, the Holy Spirit wasn't sent for the church. He was sent to the world. The Holy Spirit has come with a global plan. A global plan. So if we read the rest of the story in Acts chapter 2, uh, what's the result? Well, you already know what the result is. Peter preaches a really powerful sermon. The crowd stopping and they put their hand up and say, what must I do to be saved? A little bit different to what we do now, where we play a bit of quiet music, we get everyone to raise a hand and we kind of make that sort of uh, call your process of coming to Christ. I love at the end of this message that it's actually the crowd. They're knocking on the door of heaven going, hey, we want in to this thing. There was so much conviction in their hearts. And it goes on later towards the end of Acts chapter 2. It actually says when this church is birthed that they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They weren't being pushed, motivated, herded up. It says that they devoted themselves. They made that decision to follow Christ because it was real to them, because of the power of God that was flowing through this group of people, this church that had allowed themselves to go through the fires of refinement, that had allowed themselves to embrace the lessons. And it makes me wonder, it makes me think, what could be the possibilities on the end of this situation that we find ourselves going through right now? Let's imagine a world in six, eight, twelve weeks' time, who knows how long before we get out there. Let's imagine what it could look like when those of us who are in the church have allowed ourselves to embrace the lessons and we've allowed that refining to take place and we've responded to the Holy Spirit. Imagine what it would be like when those people get back out there into the world, a world where there's been a peaked curiosity at the things of God and about spirituality, where people have realised that they're not in control and that they're looking for something more. What could happen? Is it possible? Just imagine, is it possible that we could see a rebirthing and a reshaping of the church, much like we see in the beginning of the book of Acts. I think it's worth imagining and I think it's worth believing for. God is doing some great stuff through this. Let's cooperate with him as a church because the world out there, whether they realise it or not, they're really depending on it. Bless you, guys.